Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 254. So close. So close. So what's next week, Stephen? It's the 8-bit episode. 255. But even more important, it's also the 5th annual Macrofab Star Wars Christmas special. Mm. Not having a official star wars movie we're gonna have to come up with some stuff there are or is an official movie the lego christmas special came out that's true what what service is that on i need to go watch that it's on disney plus is it okay yeah Yeah. i gotta watch that yeah you gotta get caught up on we're gonna talk about mandalorian tech and uh lego tech which sounds fun my wife went out of town for um thanksgiving she she went back to uh, Texas to uh, see her family, and uh, she's not back yet. And I've been holding off on watching The Mandalorian for. Uh, she went to go buy milk and hasn't come back yet. Yeah, well, and cigarettes, right? <laughs> uh, she uh, yeah. So I I'm I as of this Friday, I will be three episodes behind in The Mandalorian, and I'm jonesing to ca- uh, catch up. And I'm just like, no one talk about it. I know it's cool. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> see. see- that, that well, that came out today because I was texting you and Roz about about the Mandalorian, and I, I the first thing I asked was, "Is everyone caught up yet?" And you said no, so I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I she said I could watch it without her, but I'm I I'm not going to. I'm going to be a nice husband. She's going to come back home and she's be like, "Oh yeah, I've already seen these episodes." <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't wait for you. What are you talking about? <laughs> No, I told her. What's funny is I actually have some um, some soldering uh, projects coming up here soon. Um, that I know, like I designed some stuff over the Thanksgiving holiday, and just this week the boards came in and all the parts came in. And I told her, I'm setting up a table in the in the uh, living room. I'm bringing out the soldering iron, and we're just watching like three or four hours of TV. And I'm just going to solder up all my projects. So it's going to actually be a pretty great Saturday. That's a pretty good day. Yeah. Drink a beer, watch some Mandalorian, oh, hell solder yeah. some stuff. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Speaking of soldering stuff up, my prototype boards for the RGB lighting system for the Pinatar pinball system. Well, that was a mouthful. Um, should be arriving this week. And so over the break, I'm going to be soldering up a bunch of LEDs and a bunch of um, connectors and stuff. Um, so hopefully that will work out. But yeah, oh, on that, Pinatar updates. Revision 4 in the works. So Revision 3 is up in Wisconsin. Um, we did run into some issues with the relay, not actuating the relay, but um, Steve and I were looking at this last week after the podcast we recorded. And we were looking at the automotive relay because Steven was asking, um, is it actually rated for 50 volts? <laughs> Which is what we're going to pass through it. And I was like, it should be fine because I ran, you know, higher voltage than that through it. So we started looking into it and automotive relays can be rated up to it, but they're not certified for 50 volts. So like all the UL ratings and all that uh, paperwork stuff. Um, they don't have ratings that high. Yeah, yeah. The the I'm not going to burn your building down paperwork stuff. Yes, and so 
basically because of that, they're not act. You can't actually get a automotive style relay that's rated and certified to the voltages we're running at. So we have to switch that out, which is unfortunate, which we, we have to make another revision anyways, to change some stuff with some connectors. Um, but it's just like, oh, I got to change relays again. Um, so I started looking into like actually doing a deep dive into relays and I found a couple, um, let me back up a bit. The, the big issue we're running into is we're switching quote unquote high voltage DC. Um, most people consider, at least the industry considers anything basically over 36 volts DC as high voltage DC. And we're switching 50 volts. And in some cases, depending on like how hot you turn the power supply, it can be even like 60 volts. You know, that's ex uh, exactly like um, a handful of weeks ago, I was doing that high voltage, low current sensing circuitry stuff. And uh, I kept running into like, I'm trying to find high common mode voltage. And all these data sheets are like super high voltage, 48 volts. I'm like, yeah, come on, please. Yeah, I need that. I need a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, and so my biggest thing is, um, am I missing something when choosing the correct relay? Because I was looking in other pinball machines, like production machines from back in the day, and they're not rated for the voltage they're switching. Hmm. Like you look at the side and it says 24 volt DC rated uh, for the contacts. Hmm at like seven amps um the more industrial style like you know those clear style relays yeah so, the big bricks yeah most of them use those um i'm not opposed to using those at all or anything i just want to find what's the correct rating to go for um which okay so if, if you look at ratings on relays the thing that's super annoying is Anytime you, not anytime, but most of the time when you look for voltage on a relay, everyone assumes you're thinking about the coil, not the contacts. Correct. That too. So you have to sift through a lot of data sheets to find what you're actually looking for. And what I've been finding out is when you're on Mauser or DigiKey, they are displaying the max voltage rating for the relays, which is not the rating you want. It's like we were talking about like years ago about MOSFETs of how like the marketing of MOSFETs is like, they tell you like the maximum amount of current and the maximum voltage and power. If you had like infinite heat sinking on it, like you could immediately draw all the power away. Infinite, infinite heat sink for a picosecond. Yes. Yeah. Um, kind of running into the same issue with these relays is when you look at like max voltage ratings on those sites and start filtering by them, that's the max voltage rating of the contacts, but it's not what it's rated for. You go into the data sheet and find what the rated current at what voltage and current is. And so like this one, this G2RL-1A-E-CV relay, um, its max voltage rating is 300 volt DC. Awesome. Go into the data sheet, rated current at 24 volt DC is 16 amps. It doesn't give you any other rated current above that for DC. Hmm. And and remind me how much current do you actually need to switch? 10 amps. 10 amps, okay. So the worst case scenario would be like 60 volt DC at 10 amps. We have a 
we had to switch that off. So uh, I don't think I asked the other week, but what what is the purpose of this relay? Like, what does it do? So the, the purpose of the relay is to switch off the high voltage if we detect a problem. What are the what are the conditions that constitute like a, a, problem? Car, a coil burns up or something like that? Okay. Basically, it's a mechanical a mechanical fault happens with the machine, and so instead of burning the coil up, we want to safely turn off the high voltage and then let the operator know, hey, there's a problem here. Instead of usually what happens in older machines, what happens is the relay goes and then basically fries the MOSFETs. Yeah, because they're what dead shorted. Yeah, because they're dead shorted with you know 60 volts across them, or 50 to 60 volts. So we want to be able to. Because we have a current sensor, and so we know, hey, these coils are only supposed to be pulling a certain amount of power. And so if we detect an anomaly, we can go, okay, shut it off, and uh, let the operator know that there's an issue. And so we can save the electronics, and then the the operator can go in and replace the coil or diode or whatever is blown up. So, so you send back to the computer some kind of a fault code? Yes. Do you, do you have yeah. current sensing for each individual line, or are you just sensing the the main power line? The main main fifty volt line that comes onto the board. We actually are sensing for like all the other voltage lines too that go off to like um, the uh, servos and that kind of stuff. We're sensing those lines too, but the main one is the fifty volts because that's actually what causes. Uh, you can cause damage to the board by not switching off fast enough. Yeah, I guess I guess what I was curious about is um you, you're basically uh sensing the oh shit current on the main line you're not sensing each mosfet you can't say like oh this particular solenoid is bad well we can do that by um if if it it can also detect like if a solenoid or a mosfet's gone bad by going hey there's no current supposed to be flowing now and there's current flowing yeah sure yeah so so there's a bunch of back end work that's actually monitoring the current on okay it should be pulling this much power and it is so it's good Mm. that kind of stuff so we're trying to do some smarts just to be more proactive in and saving um electronics lives i guess i I suppose you could have it do like a diagnostic where where it actuates each thing and then studies its current and then knows what it should be yeah i don't think we have a learning algorithm like that um it's a good idea to put in though yeah like upon startup it could do it could do that and then say like this is what it should be when this happens yeah that'd be cool yeah might be a little much for what we're working on but yeah yeah so relays yeah um 300 volt i must DC. be missing something 10 amps yeah I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah i must be missing something because there's not a lot of for some like even in production machines back in the day they are not using relays that can technically actuate this maybe they're only expecting like 10 or 12 actuations <laughs> before the relay goes um i'd rather not do it that way are you using your relay as a normally closed and you open it if there's a fault or do you have to actually energize it to does it have to be energized 100% we energize it to enable Okay, so so during normal play, it is energized. Yeah, yes. Okay. Um, I did find a relay that is actually rated for all this. 
the G2RG-2A-X, it's actually rated at 500 volt DC at 10 amps. Wow. And is not the most uh, inexpensive, really. It's it's only 16 bucks, which isn't that bad. Um, but compared to the relays we're currently using, which are $3 to $6, it's a $10 increase on the bomb. Now, if that's what gets us into our safety zone, then sure be it. But I would rather... There's got to be something I'm missing, like this other relay that's rated at or max voltage rating at 300 volt DC, but it's rated current at 24 volt DC at 16 amps. There's got to be something I'm missing there. Um, I'm hoping someone in the Slack will will teach me on on the ways of the relay. Wow, that's a hell of a relay. Yeah, ten amps, five hundred volts. Talk about welding your contacts together. Oh yeah, and it's not the smallest relay either. It's not that big either, but it's a pretty pretty chunky. It's a little bit over an inch by an inch by an inch. Yeah, oh, bigger than that. A little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, that's cool though. You see, um, I, I th- when when I was not aware that these existed with this kind of power rating. The first thing that came to mind for me actually is in my in my uh, high voltage amps to have a slow start, uh, such that you could put this on the transformer, the high voltage tap of the transformer. Uh, so it's open when you first turn the amp on and the low voltage stuff comes up first and you have a time delay circuit and then it clicks this on such that all of your low voltage stuff is on before actually clicking this in or even have this as like speaker protection or something. That's cool. Is there a particular reason why you'd want to bring your low low voltage on first? The uh, It's it's argued in, in uh, uh, tube amps if you if you apply high voltage to a tube before it's warm you have an incredible potential in between your cathode and your anode Ah. and uh people say that you can that's how they that's how you wear them it's called cathode poisoning or cathode stripping where you have this high potential where you're actually putting a force on the cathode and you and people say you can actually break the cathode apart i don't know how much i believe that and then these kinds of voltages it's actually like 500 volts and lower it's not proven to exist now in like really high like radio transmit tubes that have way higher voltages it is a problem so it it is kind of nice to have like a time delay where you know the tube is hot you give it 10 seconds or so and then it clicks the high voltage on that's a cool little thing um Actually, this is a really great YouTube video. If you don't heat up a tube at all, and you way, 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 way over voltage the thing, like a tube rated to like 500 volts, put 3,000 volts or so on it, it actually produces x-rays. Uh, so uh, there's a great YouTube video of a guy who who puts up a Geiger counter right next to one and puts like 3,000 volts, and that Geiger counter goes freaking nuts. <laughs> I don't. Well, it's I don't, just stripping all those electrons off. Yeah, it's it's actually that is cathode stripping happening, and when you strip yeah. the electrons off, they release high energy waves. So, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, in in all the amps I design, I don't I don't put uh, time delays or standby switches or anything. They're just not necessary. But it would be cool, in theory. So it's either 
relays or start looking at solid state relays um because those can easily handle the voltage and amperage would look i'm looking at um i haven't looked at too much into like board mounted ones of those and the pricing but that's the next step if uh i can't find a relay that will handle what i need yeah don't isn't it isn't it difficult to find maybe i'm mistaken here i thought it was difficult to find dc solid state relays like ac didn't solid seem, state relays are super easy to find didn't seem that hard to find uh when i was looking on on the mauser oh okay okay yeah i just i just did a random search for one and here's a 60 volt it's only 3.25 amps but it's just a few bucks yeah that might be the better way to go yeah you don't have a mechanical thing to wear out exactly and uh and the, you're kind of in the you're in the iffy situation where you have to have it energized and hold the contacts closed for normal operation as opposed mm -hmm. to the other way around. Um, so I'd, yeah, I don't know. Solid state relay sounds a, a, a better option there. And then the next big change on red four is the RGB lighting string we're using because we're using serial lights and, um, the problem we're running into is we want to hold up to like 64 lights in a row. Well, it's like that's like five amps of power. If you do like max brightness, all of them white lit. So that's like the maximum power draw at what voltage? Five volts. OK. So the power off the board isn't that big of a deal, but the problem is like the daisy chaining of all the wires and to make everything compact enough we are limited on your your connector size and we're using like two millimeter pitch connectors jsd style connectors and the i don't have the exact part numbers for those but i'll find them later uh i'll find them when i we actually test these and it works is there a maximum um, current on that or something yeah well you're limited by not the connector power because the connectors are rated for like five amps easy mm. uh it's the amperage for the gauge of wire you can put into them. Oh, okay. So the max sense. size gauge is like 22 gauge. Right, right. Yeah, and that limits you to like, oh, I don't want to say because I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm, I'll probably It's wrong. not five amps. It's not five amps, though. <laughs> um, I'm going to look it up real quick. But basically, we have to go to two chains of lights so that we can handle 64 lights. Um, I, 22 gauge is what is chassis wiring for that? It's seven amps. Is that apparently. <laughs> really? That is not it. <laughs> yeah. Is that assuming like a hundred degree C rise or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds really scary. That's yeah. That's a lot of juice going through there. I would not believe that. Yeah. That's the first link on 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 the on, on the, the Google Googles. Though. Yeah. Mm. Don't always trust everything you read. Ah, because that's chassis wiring, which is for small lengths of wires between components. Yeah, really small. We're talking about a four foot run. Right. Yeah. 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 What, so, anyways. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, th those are okay. So, little side tangent. That's those are confusing ratings because there's chassis rating and then there's power delivery rating. Correct. And uh, the first time you see that, you kind of run into it and you're just like, "Wait, 
there's two different ratings for the same wire and they're really different most of the time like very very different and yeah you're talking about power delivery not just like talking to a component an inch away yeah oh and that's right it's actually i think the max size is 20 gauge um and it says that the max power transmission is 1.5 amps which is yeah that's correct that makes yeah that makes a lot yeah. more sense and so we had two change to be two chains to be able to handle the uh, power. So that just means adding another connector in parallel, right? Yeah, it's just, well, another connector in parallel, but it's actually two new um, data and clock pins that have to come off the microcontroller. Mm, okay. Oh, so you have to control that whole string separately. Yeah, it's controlled separately. And we're actually, I'm going to fuse them on different fuses as well, just to be safe. How are you going to tell the end user about that? Are you just going to say, like, don't put more than two amps on this line? or It's going to have a two amp fuse. So <laughs> <laughs> so if they if they overdo it, they'll just know they overdid it. Yeah. I mean, user beware, right? <laughs> I guess you'll have some kind of a notice in a manual somewhere. Oh, yeah. It, it says on the board, uh, two amp rated. So. <laughs> okay cool yeah hopefully next couple weeks i have rev 4 out the door main thing is that relay problem so yeah because rev 3 is all functional right yeah 100 percent. Yeah. yeah we actually just put the uh the i mean the relay is working on it too it's just not certified for it so we're like well we gotta change that we gotta make sure it's certified for what, what we're using it for right yeah you don't want any legal issues down the road nope that would be bad so uh this this uh well actually a handful of weeks ago i've been i've been meaning to talk about this but i just put it off for whatever reason but um my my buddy sent me a uh an image of a guitar effects development board that he was like hey man i found this thing and i kind of want to uh i want to buy it it's pretty cool and i took a look at it and it's like that's my fx dev board that i did a while ago uh so for those who are maybe newer to listeners i did a uh crowdsource it was crowdsource right yeah i think it was yeah. cra- um crowdsource uh uh hey, i'm gonna stop you there you did mention this two podcasts ago did i 252 yeah what did i are you sure yeah the fx dev board returns episode 252 i don't remember that i don't think i actually you, talked about it did i yeah you you talked about them existing we didn't go into any details of other than they oh existed God. covid land has got my brain all scrambled i don't even remember that uh so that turkey you ate before that podcast yeah well okay so regardless <laughs> these i was making i'm just letting our listeners know because they might be having a ground dog a groundhog day situation going on right well, now. well i sure as hell am i don't remember talking about that at all i thought i knocked that off the list or cut that. no that's well groundhog day would be you remembered it and it's happening again <laughs> yeah the same i can't remember what that song is but the song happens every single morning and you <laughs> break the the alarm clock every morning yep <laughs> it's a great movie uh okay so regardless okay so these uh yeah these these fx dev boards uh came back and uh, and there's actually two different versions of them, which is which is pretty cool. So this this one called the uh, Protoboard, which is from PedalPCB.com, and then another one, Protus One, came back. Um, or I shouldn't say came back, but it uh, uh, there's a there's a newer version of it. And uh, 
one of the reasons why I wanted to even talk about this this week was not just because there's FX Dev Porch, which thumbs up, cool. I'm glad that they're they're out there, uh, but the fact that uh, I think I think there's there's somewhat of a flaw, and I don't want to say that it's a flaw in their design, but not my design, but something that I think is is a little bit eyebrow raising uh, that is worth considering here. Uh, both of these other boards ditched my power supply design that I did on the board, which frankly, my, I'll admit, I'm raising my hand here, my, my power supply design was a little bit funky because I did a, a capacitive coupled dual rectifier design, uh, which if you if you type that in Google, you're not going to find anything. It's it's weird, and I wasn't like purposefully trying to find a strange topology of power supply here. You weren't just trying to flex on us. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was literally trying to avoid FCC rules, like uh, getting FCC certification. <laughs> <laughs> no, Parker's laughing. I actually spent a significant amount of time trying to figure out how am I going to accomplish getting a bipolar power supply using common components and avoid having to get anything FCC certified. And the, my solution was to use an AC power brick, not a DC power brick. So a wall wart that's effectively just a transformer. And you, you end up with, with one tap on the output. That's a, uh, it's a 16 volt tap, I believe is what I used. Uh, but if you go and if you go look up bipolar power supply on Google and you try to find like concepts of a, of a, standard bipolar mains connected power supply you end up seeing a ton of designs that are like a 7805 and a 7905 uh regulators connected to rectifiers that are connected to a center tap transformer that's the biggest thing i didn't have a center tap transformer i have a single tap on this on mm -hmm. this design and the whole purpose of of going with a with a like a wall wart that's just an ac wall wart uh, was that something that's simple to find? You can you can find that. You can buy that. You can get it on Amazon. And in my original FX Dev board, I wanted that. I wanted the parts to be easy to get uh, because that was the whole purpose. I was trying to make things easy for people. So I ended up going with a capacitively coupled power supply, which allows you to actually put two full wave rectifiers on a single tap, and then you can invert one of the rectifiers and you can get a bipolar power supply off of a non-center tapped transformer. So I don't know too much about how that would work, but I'm going to guess is it shifts something out, it shifts it out of phase. Well, it's a, oh, so how it works. So here's it's effectively like two independent rectifiers that just don't recognize each other because the DC that's on the tap uh, is reference to one of the rectifiers, but if you're capacitively coupling, you're actually sending power through the capacitors into a second rectifier, but they're DC coupled uh, from each other, or AC, uh, sorry, AC coupled with the capacitors uh, from each other. So it's not the most efficient design because you actually have losses in the capacitor and things, and um, specking the size of the capacitors is actually a fairly, it's not, it's not straightforward. Uh, which, which is why I just use monster capacitors on the board, just like big enough. Right. And I knew that the entire power supply of the FX dev board was going to be fairly limited. I had it, um, limited with polyfuses to plus minus 200, uh, milliamps. So it wasn't a significant amount of power to uh, regardless. So, so the whole purpose of doing that was that you could use an AC wall wart 
plug it in to a standard, you know, 2.1 millimeter DC jack on the board and get your bipolar power on the board with just a single tap. Now, here's the thing. These these other... And you're, you're trying to avoid the 6 kilohertz rating for FCC, right? It's a 9 kilohertz, but yeah, exactly. The, okay. the, the part 15B or whatever they call it. Because, you know, because I was designing this under the MacFab name and we were going to be distributing this uh, you know, and it's something that I didn't want to get in trouble if someone came knocking on the door figuring things out because there's significantly easier ways to accomplish this task. You could put in whatever voltage you want and then use a switch mode power supply or a uh, charge pump design to get whatever other voltage you want. And what's funny is I think this is kind of like boils down to one of the issues with Googling your... um your solution to a problem so so especially in in like the guitar design world uh for for most people who get the inkling like hey i'm gonna build a pedal or i'm gonna learn about this stuff um you're already playing guitar and you know that pedals run on nine volt batteries and when you first start getting into it you, you realize hey okay i've got a nine volt battery i can design my circuit around nine volts and it's actually kind of interesting because most, uh, you know, of the uh, simple designs do zero to nine volt and uh, they do single supply. So you have a half volt reference, a four and a half volt reference, and everything is referenced off of that. So you learn how to design a circuit around a single supply, which is actually a pretty cool little skill to have. But as soon as you start getting into more advanced circuitry, you start realizing that zero to nine volts is limited. And uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of capability, so you start looking around and you see, hey, these other pedal guys have been using charge pumps to get a plus 9 and a negative 9 design. So great, it's just this one microchip part, and it comes in a dip 8 package, which I know how to solder that, and that's great. So I start putting that in my designs, and um, you start getting into trouble, because now you're starting to violate uh, a lot of laws and rules that you're not even aware of. And so I think... Uh, using these kinds of things is fine and and whatnot for like your your own personal projects at home and things like that. But uh, if you're not paying attention to this stuff, it can really bite you in the butt. And uh, these these two other FX dev boards that are out there, uh, one of them I'm, I'm I know I'm aware of. Uh, the Proto board uses the TC one zero four four SCPA, which totally cool, great. Um, it's a charge pump, so you put nine volts in or Effectively, you put whatever voltage in you want, and it just flips it negative, and you get negative out, which, great. You, now you have bipolar rails for whatever circuit you're going to design. And when we're talking about a little dev board, you know, who cares about the FCC in that situation? It's like your little like thing that you're just running at your desk. It's not a big ordeal, right? And the proto board itself is, uh, I, I think you solder it up. They just sell you the PCB. So... It's really not that big of a deal for you to have a switch mode power supply or a charge pump or something like that. Now, this other FX dev board, the Protus One, which is pretty cool, uh, it's it's a lot more of a uh, one-to-one uh, idea of the FX dev board. I don't know exactly what they're using on the board, but it does look like they're using some kind of a charge pump design or something like that. They're actually selling a finalized product, which super awesome. I'm glad that someone's out there getting this to people because i i really wish it would have worked out for us uh but 
it's also like, hey, this does really fall under FCC rules. And if you're using something that oscillates over nine kilohertz, then you got to be really careful about what you're putting out there. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I had originally gone with a kind of a wacko, non-standard power supply design that seems weird uh, for, on the get-go. And it seems like, well, why are we using these weird parts? And why do we have this weird configuration? So that I can skirt the law i mean to be honest <laughs> so you know and it's funny too because both of these uh boards don't use the uh the integrated uh uh breadboard that uh parker had designed yeah i mean, I mean you designed that like those... what nine years ago or something like that uh, no it's not that long ago it's is it probably not that far away from there how much is the well we'll look up the fx dev board See when the last commit to that GitHub repo was. So yeah, Parker had these these breadboards that were that had it was pins only underneath it. Six years ago. Okay, I mean, it was a while ago. So a while ago, but yeah, yeah, um, we custom built um, or had custom built some proto boards, like the little plastic breadboard kind of guys that had. Um, the rails in them had tabs that would poke down. And so you could solder them into your board and you could connect stuff up. So like we had the power rails connected up uh, to the pow- to the to the fancy voltages that Steven was making with his crazy power supply design and then some of the signals as well. So you could jumper stuff a lot easier and basically do stuff with less wires. Right, right. And that was sort of the magic was that uh, yeah. that you had access to uh, the actual tabs of the breadboards themselves as opposed to having to just jump with wires because the biggest the biggest problem with with breadboarding in my opinion is just having flying wires all over the place like that just adds mm-hmm. so much confusion and so much parasitics that uh, it, it ends it ends up screwing with your design and it hinders you from learning things because it's like well my circuit doesn't work but I have it connected right uh, and it's mainly build quality or or the design quality of what you're actually plugging in and things so I, I, I but but you know honestly I don't I don't blame anyone who's uh, you know took my repo and went to town with it uh, it's it's understandable because Parker had all those breadboards custom made so they just don't exist yeah. you know and the best thing too is is um, they didn't even match the design that we gave them. And so we had to redesign the board with a different footprint. Oh, that's right. Cause they sent me the original data sheet or, well, they sent me like literally like a paint drawing. Yeah. And, uh, and so I designed based off of that and their, <laughs> their dimensions were all wrong. Everything was, was wrong. Everything was off. <laughs> but, um, what's, one feature that they that these two boards don't have of the FX dev board, which is what was I, my favorite part of the FX dev board was the FX dev board came with a metal enclosure. Yeah. And so that you could build your circuit and then put it in a metal enclosure and actually go to a gig and play with it. You could you could try it in a live setting. Yeah, live setting. And so if you could get all your wires to squish into the box and all that stuff, um, that it could hold up to some abuse. Like we had, it, it was a stomp pedal on it, uh, stomp pedal switch and all that good stuff. And 
Um, you didn't have to be gingerly with the board once it was in the enclosure. Actually, so so one of the uh, this this other one, this proto board here, they came up with a pretty cool concept. I love that like both these these people took the design and they changed it and and made some additions to it. This proto board made the uh, the option for you to put some Phoenix connector uh, ter uh, screw terminals in it, but they put them. It's the 45 degree style. So you could take a potentiometer uh, and stick the legs in this connector and then screw it in such that if you had a particular value of potentiometer, you stick it in there, just screw it in. Now you have that exact pot because there yeah. are some circuits that use weird wacko ta tapers or values or whatever. That is definitely the biggest improvement to your design. You, you, okay, so you know what I what I had originally done? I went out, I, I did a bunch of research and found what are the 50 most built pedals uh, by anyone. And I got all of the schematics. I got all of the values of potentiometers, put them in a spreadsheet, and I uh, did some statistics on it. And I found with six different values, you could make like 45 of them. Uh, so I just said, okay, I'll put those six values on and that's going to cover nearly everything. Yeah. But, but this other one is cool. That's a really, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. I, 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 um, yeah. And actually I was just looking at the, this proto board and with how it has those at a 45 degree angle, it reminds me of a lot of a Atari 2600 style console. Uh, video it looks game console. Like that, yeah. And that would be really sick to make a pedal that looked like that. That would be... I like the yeah, so, Actually, it would be cool to just put a pedal inside of a 2600 enclosure. <laughs> oh my gosh, how cool would it be if the pedal changed based off of what cartridge you cartridge. put in it? Oh, that'd be so tight. <laughs> we can do it. I got like hundreds of Atari shit. Do you really? Old hardware, yeah. Hey, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here. Did you ever ship that one package that was supposed to ship out? Oh, yeah. Okay, you eventually did. did. You, you even asked me that on the podcast like years ago. Yeah, I can't remember your answer. Yeah, it's yes. <laughs> no, the, the whole running joke was Barker had this package under his desk that just sat there for a long time, and it was supposed to go off to some customer somewhere. Yeah. And it was there for, on Not a, Mac for a long customer. time. Yeah, no, no, it was like a, an, it was an Atari, right? Yeah, it was Atari. Yeah. See, this is the okay. podcast where I don't remember anything. <laughs> all right so i got i got i got one more topic yeah all right so on the re electronics subreddit um there's a picture of a what do you call these like a bike holder it's it's bike one rack. of those things that you can bike rack that's the word oh bike rack it's a bike rack that is a giant coil and someone said this is a giant inductor yeah it's, it's a public bike rack like the ones you go up to and then you you yeah yeah so it looks like a big, it's just a big coil of stainless steel. And someone said there's a 0 0.1 micro Henry inductor. And it kicked off in my brain of, of other, because you could totally use it as an inductor because it's a coil wire, right? Or it's probably a tube, but sure. Yeah. Actually, you know, this is, this is the engineering part going through my mind it's not solid so it's a tube uh it's a tube that's wrapped into a coil right so mm. i don't i don't know what the effect of a tube being wrapped into a coil would be in well, terms it's of a high frequency if it's uh high frequency it's just the skin effect 
Yeah, but but I don't know what what kind of effect that would have for the field that goes inside the coil, ah. not inside the tube. I don't know. That's the that's the physics side coming out. It's probably wherever the uh, current is riding, though, which would be skin effect. Well, and it's funny because there's there's an image of it, and if you've ever tried to wrap a coil and try to hit a target, it's really really tough to get what you're looking for, and so something something this big. I, I I couldn't even assume that it would be zero point zero one micro Henry. It's got to be so much less than that. <laughs> oh, and there's a uh, there's actually calculations in this thread of how to actually calculate this. <laughs> That's so great. In in my senior design project, we actually had one aspect of it was a um, we had to have. Uh, what was magnetic coupling for communications of this device. So we had coils that were at 90 degrees and a motor would turn them such that they would be in, in line with each other and then they could energize and magnetically communicate. And so I had to make two inductors, one that would be on this motor that would turn. And it was just, it was incredibly difficult to, to hand wind those in and make it actually work. So where I want to go with this is what are other normal items that are out and about that you could be seen or used as electrical components? Because the big one that comes to my mind is like using pennies and stuff like that as fuses um, or bullets, bullet casings, like a 22 LR bullet casing like fits perfectly in older style automotive fuses boxes. Or using aluminum foil to upsize the value of a fuse. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but what are other other items like this? So, like a bike rack. Mm. I mean, other than uh, coming up with a oh. with a weird device that shocks people, it's kind of hard to come. Uh, up. I was about to say, what if we had what if cats? What we can actually use the capacitive storage of their static electricity? Actually, I think that might be a YouTube video. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. What is what is the whole thing where it's like a buttered toast always lands butter side down and a cat always lands uh, on its feet? So if you like strap them together in a certain configuration, then you have this thing that just floats in space and spins around oh. and creates energy because both can't be true. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, that's also a commercial. That's on, on YouTube as well. Hmm. I'm trying to think of other electrical devices or resistors or something like that. I absolutely love this because this is such a great example of um, technology and Reddit, where people are not actually talking about technology. They're talking about the inductance of a bike rack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what voltage is it rated for? Many. <laughs> yeah. I would think, I think like that. Yeah. Quite a bit. Although both ends of the bike rack are grounded, so it's not a good inductor. Because <laughs> bolt is in the ground. Oh, boy. I, I, was, I, I was trying to think of resistive elements and things like that. I'm thinking like a toaster or a hairdryer or something like that. But those are being it, used it, for their purpose, so it doesn't... Yeah, they're, yeah it's being used for its purpose. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Put it on the Slack channel if anyone thinks of anything. Oh, 
Um, I've done this before. Using a bucket of water. Well, that's still not the same thing. Using a bucket of water as a heat sink for dissipating energy. Oh, and you've done that on your CNC, but I was talking like I dropped like a coil of insulated wire in there. <laughs> <laughs> what was the purpose? Oh, man. What was I? I think I was calculating battery discharge. I didn't have a way to do it, like a big resistor or anything. So I just had a big because I needed you just like shorted it in water. Yeah, I just threw a, the big coil of of insulated wire into a bucket. <laughs> nice. Yes, for testing car batteries. It was a long time ago. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. What's your last topic, Stephen? Uh, I got a gift actually that I'm I'm making for uh Roz who's been on the podcast a handful of times. Uh so I Roz and I we we build amps together. Uh we build tube amps, they're high voltage. Everyone knows this. I've talked about a every podcast two hundred and fifty five times. Uh but uh are you sure? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So, so the, here's the thing that's funny. I, I've wanted, and I know uh, it'd be useful for Ross. I've wanted uh, resistor uh, decade boxes or resistor substitution boxes that are high voltage and moderate current, so like half watt or something like that. And they just don't exist. Like if you look at resistor decade boxes on Amazon and things like that, they're like half or quarter watt and uh 50 volts or something like that they're just garbage resistors so since they didn't exist i decided to design them myself and uh so i i ended up using uh some bud enclosures uh, that are just die cast enclosures and um instead of using not, the rear not spot enclosures huh spot i don't get the joke bud is a normal name for oh, a dog God. I'm moving Spot on. Enclosures. I'm sorry. I'm moving on. <laughs> so uh, I ended up just getting rid of the bottom panel and sizing the PCB such that it screws right into these bud enclosures. So it just makes it easy to design. But the whole point of even bringing this up, and I love this, I bought these enclosures. I bought like 30 of them in 2009, I believe. I bought them with Roz right after I graduated college. We were going to design <laughs> something and put them in it, and we designed like three things, and then uh, we had all these leftovers. And I have lugged these things all around Texas and now up to Colorado, and I finally came up with a, uh, a reason to use them, and I love the fact that they're going back to Roz. So, and then the funny thing is I'm only using eight of them, so I still have a box full of these things, but it's kind of nice when like, yes, I'm a pack rat, but I eventually use the stuff that I do have hanging around. Yeah. Oh man, that's, uh, to go off that story is, so last night, um, I built a, a Christmas wreath for my Wagoneer and I did the same thing is, um, my my mom made me I, I didn't do the arts and craft part of it like my mom did that but she built the wreath out of like spare stuff from like around her scrap bins for her arts and crafts christmas junk, <laughs> junk. so much stuff so much stuff um well she looks at my scrap pile probably the same way yeah, right? likely yeah. but yeah i built I built all the because i built the rack that would fit on the front of the wagon out of the scrap bin 
just pull all the parts out, and all I had to do was just cut some tubing, a little scrap piece of tubing up. So nice. It's nice when you get the use like recycle and reuse older project stuff, and then you just feel so much like that warmth inside your your stomach. This project would not have happened unless I kept these boxes for eleven years and yeah, and drug yeah. them around. This is why I don't get rid of things. <laughs> Mine would be I I there would be no way for me to finish my project, in basically one evening, if I didn't have all this stuff because like all the brackets I used, were already the right shape and already had holes in the right like almost the right spot. So I'm like, oh yeah, I just have to weld all this stuff together now and then throw paint on nice. it. Nice, <laughs> that's the way so. to do it. And like I didn't have to wire anything on the wagon. I had wiring from the fog lights. So I just wired it into the fog lights. Wait, so your wreath illuminates? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you activate the fog lights and it turns on the wreath. <laughs> All for just a, an evening's worth of work. Oh, yeah. I think the only, only thing I had to buy was the lights. And it was like $15 on Amazon. Yeah, nice. The USB-powered lights. Oh, the only weird thing is the you ha- there's like a little button on like the USB plug and you have to like press it to like actually activate the lights. So you have to put your fog lights on and then press that button. Technically. Yes. But I didn't do that. I opened up the thing, the the clamshell and I just soldered the, the wire to the button. So it would always be pressed down. (laughs) And so it just cycles through all the different modes as fast as it can. (laughs) Well, it's like 30 seconds per mode, but it automatically turns on. Oh, okay. That's cool. Because I thought I wanted... Oh, this is such a... It's weird. Is Because it's got two different... It acts like it has two different strings of LEDs. Because it can like turn on half the LEDs and then fade them out and then turn the other half on and then fade out. Um, But it only does it with two wire leads into the USB box. Do you know how it works? Hmm, how? It's two LED chains, one going one direction and one going the opposite direction, and it drives the two leads with AC voltage. Oh, so it just flips the phase. It flips the phase, and then one turns on, one turns off. Well, that's cute. And then how it lights all of them at once is it just runs a sine wave down it. <laughs> Persistence of vision. Yeah. <laughs> it's re- like... I, I was really hoping I could just take the clamshell pellet and just put power on, you know, the leads directly, but that only lights up half. Every, everything has smarts nowadays. Yeah. Um, if I had more time, I'll probably do it for next year, is I will get rid of, because I don't really like the blinky lights on it. I just want it just to be on. I'll probably just make a little 555 timer that just spits out a square wave and it just lights the whole thing up. Yeah. That'll probably work. Probably. Probably. So that was probably the MacFab Engineering Podcast, unless Stephen forgot. Uh, We were your hosts, Parker Doman. Probably. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. 
You can find it at macfab.com slash slack. We are at 541 members in the Slack channel. Let's get nine more members in this Slack channel and let's get it to 550. Yeah, by the end of the year, that'd be awesome.